Welcome to Let Freedom Ring, our podcast. I'm your host, John Flannery, and the topic this week is Putin's killing fields, a war crime unto itself. Weeks ago, the Russians invaded Ukraine without provocation or reason in violation of international law and local treaties that Russia itself made with Ukraine. Resourceful and brave Ukrainian forces have fought for their country like President Putin never imagined. With President Zelensky as their commander, the Ukrainian soldiers and civilian soldier volunteers have slowed Putin's advance to a crawl. It was thought by those who underestimated Ukraine that the Russian invasion would take the capital in days. Weeks have passed. The Ukrainian armed forces have inflicted heavy Russian losses in life and suffering. The truly mad president of Russia, Vladimir Putin, claims Ukraine Nazified the nation Ukraine, a central element of Putin's disinformation campaign to justify this war, proven entirely false, especially when you consider that President Zelensky is Jewish. Putin, now 69, contemplating his barbaric legacy, insists his purpose, perhaps his last autocratic ambition, is to restore the Soviet empire. Given a glimpse into Putin's vision by this brutal war, the world must do whatever is necessary to stop Putin now while we can. With Russian troops stalled on the ground, Putin looks for other ways to win this war, including assaults from the skies by way of hypersonic missiles that travel at five times the speed of sound. Putin has turned to terror, ordered his troops to kill civilians, including the disabled, spousal caretakers, pregnant women, children, and more. Putin destroys, flattens to the ground, historic and symbolic public buildings with civilians inside the buildings injured or crushed to death. Putin has cut off food, water, electricity, and free passage to citizens who seek to escape his death march by fleeing to the West. There is a paralyzing fear that this Putin, intoxicated with cruelty, with hints he will use nuclear force and chemical weapons. The world shudders. At a recent rally in Russia before 200,000 supporters, Putin quoted a passage from the Bible. Noir War Theater. Plainly, President Zelensky sees Putin's endgame of more death, destruction, and desolation. So he's called for meaningful negotiations on peace. Meaningful can only mean stop the killing, spare the people. Maybe little else at this stage. It appears doubtful that Putin will accede to this demand. International law and treaties and local agreements and the law mean less or nothing. All of this, our international law, treaties, local agreements, they mean nothing. When there is no will to stand by what these important documents command. This invasion by Putin teaches us that bad players, without character, whose word means nothing, who invoke the force of arms and refuse to comply with international and local law, It teaches us that there's only one way to stop the violent, who disregard all law. 
We are the victims worldwide of an asymmetry between law that must be obeyed and the military force of a latter-day Russian potentate and bully who would make his own law, ruled by fiat as some latter-day emperor. Let's consider the structure of law ignored abroad as it is and as it's been at home, but we'll talk about that another day. This is perhaps the greatest danger to civilization in our time, where law becomes a suggestion, good for sound bites, but ignored by world criminals. Presently, Putin stands center stage, preferring a state of lawless chaos, given form only by his demands, by his fiat, his order, his direction, enforced as necessary by brutal destruction with the objective of overturning the inconvenient to him tenets of law and order. Let's consider one of those first laws. After World War II, it's in the Charter for Uniting the Nations. Article 2, subsection 4 of the Charter prohibited the, quote, use of force against the territorial integrity or political independence of any state. Could anything be stated more clearly? And it's stated clearly so that offenses and violations of that law would be as manifest as the law itself. On March 16, 2022, not too many days ago, the International Court of Justice decided that Russia's claims, and get this claim, that it was acting to prevent a genocide in Ukraine, they decided that that claim was baseless and ordered that, and I'm quoting now, quote, the Russian Federation must, pending the final decision in the case, suspend the military operations that it commenced on February the 24th, 2022, in the territory of Ukraine. What force did that decision have? Russia didn't stop. There have also been charges of war crimes. Russia's indiscriminate bombing that killed 600 civilians in the first three weeks of the war. How he hit at least 43 medical facilities. And the use of cluster munitions in dense urban areas. There have been questions whether China or India could help Russia in this war. And that's interesting to me how in the media we do not discuss what the law says as opposed to negotiations to make someone, China in this case, to do or not do something. But international law is clear on this point, just as the Charter was. Article 16 of the Articles on State Responsibility plainly say, and I quote, bear with me, a state which aids or assists another state in the commission of an internationally wrongful act by the latter is internationally responsible for doing so if, and it's in two parts, A, that state does so with knowledge of the circumstances of the internationally wrongful act, and B, the act would be internationally wrongful if committed by that state. Now, our Secretary of State went and made meetings and flew to persuade China's representatives not to help Russia. It should have only been necessary to state to do otherwise 
would be in violation of Article 16. To help in any way in this war, this invasion begun by Putin, would have been a violation of Article 16. You know, what do we have here? China has acknowledged its wariness of Russia's conduct. It knows what it's doing. But the daily news is that we had to threaten what we'll do if China does help Russia in violation of the law of Article 16. Again, another failure of the law alone. We have to make economic threats. We have to coerce because the law is not enough. That's the state of our word. The center is not holding firm. I came from a neighborhood in which kids would shake hands and stand by it. As a lawyer over these many years, I've seen 200-page documents that covered every possible eventuality, and still you go to court to fight over what is plain and clear language. Indeed, Russia is supposed to take affirmative steps under Article 41 of the same Articles on State Responsibility. The provision says as follows, States shall cooperate to bring an end through lawful means of any serious breach. That means China, A, shouldn't assist, and B, should do what it can to stop the offense. China and Russia have been partners in many events over the years, but you don't see them chilling Russia in these aggressive times. There's an excellent monograph I've relied on, and if you're looking for more detail, by Una Hathaway and Ryan Goodman. The, reason, the reasoning I found just compelling, and I commend for your review. It's titled, Why China Giving Military Assistance to Russia Would Violate International Law. And it's found at the website justsecurity.org. And the date of that publication is March 17th, St. Patrick's Day. While this authority is quite sufficient to demonstrate Russia is lawless, that is, the Charter of the UN and these provisions that affect China, there are other agreements that make the case. When the Soviet Union dissolved, remaining in the Ukraine in 1991 was the world's third largest nuclear arsenal. Ukraine claimed ownership of all formerly Soviet material and technical resources on Ukraine territory, including weapons. Now, our Secretary of State at the time, James Baker, thought only Russia should succeed the Soviet Union as a nuclear state. But how to handle the fact that Ukraine had all of these weapons? In 1992, Ukraine's parliament, the Rada, supported a resolution that Ukraine wished to denuclearize, but remained concerned about security guarantees as a condition for nuclear disarmament. We give you our nuclear weapons, are we going to be at risk, at high risk? The U.S. offered a joint draft of a commitment by the United States and Russia, quote, not to use force or threat of force against territorial integrity and political independence of Ukraine in accordance with the U.N. Charter. Ukraine said we want more than that. We don't just want a reaffirmance of existing multilateral commitments as, quote, sufficient guarantee of Ukraine's security. 
Russia and Ukraine were at odds in the 90s, so that didn't help at all. Or another way to put it is they were right to consider having language that really meant something when they were divided. They were divided over the Black Sea Fleet, and they were divided, get this, Russia's support for Crimean separatism. Okay, so back in the 90s, Russia was already in this position. So how was it resolved? Well, skipping a lot of details, on December the 5th, 1994, there was created the Budapest Memorandum. It was signed and it prohibited the Russian Federation, the United Kingdom, and the United States from threatening or using military force or economic coercion against Ukraine, Belarus, and Kazakhstan. Ukraine, Belarus, and Kazakhstan agreed to give up their nuclear weapons. Now, in pertinent part, Russia agreed to a document titled On Security Assurances in Connection with Ukraine's Accession to the Treaty on the Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons. So, how would I reduce that long title? <laughs> we want security in exchange for giving up our nuclear weapons. That's what it meant. That was the whole thing. And there were six obligations cited in the document that was created, that was signed by Russia and the United States and the United Kingdom. And in the first of the six, and I'm only going to talk about Russia's obligation, it reaffirmed Russia's commitment to Ukraine in accordance with the principles of the CSCE Final Act, and here it is, to respect the independence and sovereignty and the existing borders of Ukraine. Russia swore it would respect the borders of Ukraine. A second obligation, and you'll find this to the point as well, Russia reaffirmed its obligation to re refrain from the threat or use of force against the territorial integrity or political independence of Ukraine, and that, get this, None of their weapons will ever be used against Ukraine except in self-defense or otherwise in accordance with the Charter of the United Nations. Well, that's a sweet one. Because <laughs> what did Russia do? It is using its weapons. There is no argument for self-defense. And rather than taking action that's in accordance with the Charter of the UN, and I read you the section, there acting in violation of the Charter of the United Nations. Now, the third obligation is Russia reaffirmed its commitment to refrain from economic coercion designed to subordinate to their own interests the exercise by Ukraine of the rights inherent in its sovereignty and thus to secure advantages of any, of any kind. Well, they're not going in and <laughs> cutting off accounts the way we're doing to the... Uh, uh, the friends of Putin, or to Putin himself. What, what he's doing is he's cutting off power and electricity in every which way. He's destroying the economics of the nation. He's literally starving the people and the economy at the same time. In the fourth obligation found in the uh, Budapest memo, Russia reaffirmed their commitment to seek immediate United Nations Security Council action to provide assistance to Ukraine as a non-nuclear weapon state party to the Treaty of the Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons. I know it's a mouthful. If Ukraine should become a victim of an act of aggression or an object of a threat of aggression in which nuclear weapons are used. 
Well, let me dial back on that a little bit. Nuclear weapons have not been used, so this provision could not be invoked. But nuclear weapons have been threatened. The question, have they been threatened to third parties or to others? But you have to wonder if you don't have a paper tiger at the UN to enforce anything. The UN Security Council, what would they do? You know that Russia and the United States have veto power in the Security Council. Something not to ignore and something that happened in recent days in connection with this amazing war in Ukraine. In the fifth obligation, Russia reaffirmed in the case of Ukraine their commitment not to use nuclear weapons against any non-nuclear weapon state party to the Treaty on the Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons, except in the case of an attack on themselves, their territories or dependent territories, their armed forces or their allies by such a state in association or alliance with a nuclear weapon state. Perhaps Russia hopes to tell the lie that they're threatened by nuclear weapons in order to get past this obligation. And there are many people who say and very legitimately express the concern that Russia uh, has threatened to use nuclear weapons. So don't we have to walk as if preserving eggshells beneath our feet? And the answer is, what happens when he's not engaged? That is, when his troops are not stalled on the ground, when perhaps he's not as desperate as he is now. Is he going to get less mad and more amenable to cooperation and peace and comedy? I don't think so. In the sixth obligation, and this one has been used, Russia agreed to consult in the event a situation arises which raises a question concerning these commitments, meaning the other obligations, the five obligations I've just went, gone through, finishing up with the six that says if there's a problem, we'll go talk about it. The signatories, including Russia, offered Ukraine security assurances in exchange for Ukraine's adherence to the Treaty on the Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons. Some hold the view that the memo created no legal obligation at all and that the signatories may use the memo to justify an action but it doesn't force anyone to do anything. What's the purpose of the agreement? To dupe uh, Ukraine into giving up its nuclear weapons and receiving no security in exchange? How, how does how do the so-called diplomats get around that one? At the very least, as I read the memo, when Russia agreed to respect the independence and sovereignty in the existing borders of Ukraine, when they agreed to refrain from the threat or use of force against the territorial integrity or political independence of Ukraine, when Russia agreed not to use its weapons against Ukraine, not to use economic coercion, Russia agreed, let's take the top line, not to invade Ukraine in violation of these provisions or to do any of these things. I don't see how the most flexible, slippery, Philly wordsmith can get around the Budapest Memo's prohibition against invading a country for which you promised security. But I do understand how a world-conquering adventurer who has no respect for the law could ignore the memorandum and work his violent will to get what he wants no matter what the law, international law, local law, treaties say. We have had people in history who acted this way. 
many of us think of Hitler immediately, and I don't think it's unfair. If anybody ever thought it was unfair because they hadn't seen or believed that Putin acted this way, this has to evaporate that reservation. This current invasion is not without precedence. Russia seized Crimea in 2014, consulted as the Budapest memo provided, but agreed to nothing, convened instead a referendum on whether Crimea should be incorporated into the Russian Federation, and by this oppressive sidestepping flimflam, occupied and annexed Crimea into the Russian Federation. The world did wring its hands, but it let bully Putin, 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 Putin have his way. You may remember the forceful speech that Ukraine President Vladimir Zelensky made at the Munich Security Conference on February 19, 2022. It was a moving speech. It was powerful. Zelensky said, and this is the portion I'm quoting having to do with the law and the Budapest uh, Memorandum, he he said, since 2014, Ukraine has tried three times to convene consultations with the guarantor states of the Budapest Memorandum. Now, pardon my interruption, but remember, Zelensky was not just talking about Russia. He was also referring to the other signatories of the Budapest Memorandum. That means the United States, UK, and Northern Ireland. Zelensky continued in his speech that the memorandum had prompted, prompted consultations three times without success. Today, he said, Ukraine will do it for the fourth time. If they do not happen again, or their results do not guarantee security for our country, Ukraine will have every right to believe that the Budapest memorandum is not working, and all the package decisions of 1994 are in doubt. He was a witness to the evaporation of the rule of law in the face of an invasion by Putin, successor to those Russians who perhaps never expected ever to abide by the Budapest Memorandum once it had the, the weapons. That's all it was about for them. As I said at the outset, the law has no teeth if its obedience cannot be coerced. We flirt with chaos and an aggressor's demands for his order every day. And I'm talking about Putin. We can't bring a memo pad and a pencil to fight this war, not when violence and massive force is how we set this world bully right. There are other legal authorities we could mention, but there's one final one I will, so bear with me. It's the Minsk agreements. Minsk is in Belarus and it's central to how this invasion was conducted. If you remember, it was the area where the separatists were resisting Ukraine that was such a, a point of disagreement. You may have followed how French President Emmanuel Macron tried to use these agreements, the Minsk agreements from 2015, to break through to peace in the current Ukraine crisis in 2022. Macron insisted that the Minsk agreement was the, quote, only path on which peace can be built. If you're going to decide this thing without violence, I think he made a good argument. There was actually Minsk I and Minsk II, 
and the latter was to repair what Mintz I failed to accomplish. Now France and Germany tried to broker a halt to the conflict when Russia-backed separatists who seized swaths of territory following Russia's 2014 annexation of the Crimean Peninsula. You may remember the, the succession in 2014 between Crimea and then soldiers that appeared to be anonymous that everyone believed were Russian, in fact. There was a 13-point ceasefire deal in Minsk II, which was agreed to in February 2015. There were to be prisoner exchanges, humanitarian aid, the withdrawal of heavy weapons. But one sticking point was Russia's insistence that Russia was not a party to the conflict and could not therefore be bound by any agreement. Does that sound like Russia? Russia wanted the rebels in the Donbass region to be autonomous with representation in the central Ukrainian government. Why? Well, we, we know about representation, but by this method, Putin would then have an ally to veto Kiev's foreign policy choices. After all, Putin did have a similar relationship with Trump, although a Republican's head would explode if you said aloud this obvious truth. As I, Or maybe the and so many of them support Putin. Maybe they say, yes, we would be better off if Putin was telling America exactly what it should do. As I write this, and as I speak it, because I made notes, because I want to get this right, because I haven't been discussing the law, and I think since it's one of my, what I believe is one of my strengths, I think it would help you to understand both how terrible is the disregard for all agreements, the word of nation-states mean nothing, at least when Russia's involved. President Zelensky is holding the course. Brave men and women, military and civilian, are fighting for their homeland, risk risking their lives, and everything they believe is right and just. You know, we often talk about how can we find good versus evil. And even with all the puffery and misleading statements by both sides for different reasons, the Russian having the worst of it in terms of disinformation, lying, aggression, and violence, you have to look at Zelensky, his statements, his position, and the people who volunteered, women who've never held a weapon, who could leave, stay. This is, uh, this is an amazing chapter in history, and we have to make a decision whether in the classic sense this is a tragedy. This is a case in which the people are fighting for the rule of international law and for treaties and promises made by Russia, the United States, and many other persons who suffer a kind of amnesia to do and give all that's necessary to give Ukraine a chance to rebuff and defeat and win the war against Russia. It was one thing when the world thought Putin's modern army would be in the capital in 24 hours. Well, something happened on the way to Russia crushing a freedom-loving people. We have it in our power, the United States, 
NATO, nations around the world to give real peace a chance by putting our shoulders to the task of saving these wonderful Ukrainian heroes from the tragedy that once seemed certain and getting Putin for trying to interfere in our nation's elections and governance. Land of the free and home of the brave. What am I talking about? I'm talking about Ukraine. I can't say it's true about America. I'll be here at the same time next week. All the best in between. And uh, I'll talk to you. Bye-bye. Don't it seem so far away We're traveling light today In the eye of the storm In the eye of the storm Home To a new and a shiny place Make our bed and we'll 